welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a very interesting guest for you, and um, since it is the first show of the new year, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to a, what I hope will be the, your most fabulous year in 2018. And um, I thought I would give you all a break <laughs> instead of haranguing you with, uh, with talk of terrorists and so on, um, <laughs> which, you know, since, uh, since I am the terrorist therapist, um, I thought I would come start the year with something a little more positive. And um, this is a story. My guest is uh, a woman who has written a new book, and it is the story of her life. And it is a story of overcoming dramatic odds, and I mean that literally dramatic odds, um, being born to a schizophrenic mother growing up with a schizophrenic mother until she was 40, I mean until my guest was 40, and which is which is a long time, um, and and then well I won't I, I'm not going to give uh, this is a spoiler alert I'm not going to not going to say anything more than that, but um, uh, her book is called Optimal Distance and it is a, a divided life and she's actually written two books um, a first half and a second half, but I wanted before I introduce her and um, she starts you know, sharing her story, very personal, intimate story, I want to tell you how I found her. I mean, I typically find guests in lots of different ways. Um, I get bombarded by a ton of publicists sending me, um, sending me emails, you know, um, talking about their, their clients. And I also, in my daily life, as I go around and I meet people and I think that they have a very interesting Story or an interesting, um, interesting advice or interesting something interesting to talk about. I'll I'll, I'll take their card and I'll contact them. Um, and I, you know, just then sometimes. Well, you know, sometimes I just uh, <laughs> I do my own rants at when things in the news just get to be too crazy, and I want to provide an island of sanity for you by analyzing them. And that includes stuff in relation to terrorism. Um, so all different ways, but this is a very unique way. One of the things I do is that I have uh, I've set up a Google alert. So in other words, anytime my name appears on the internet, um, whether usually it's being quoted in some kind of article or another, uh, I get a Google alert, and I know to click on the link and to find the article that I've been quoted in, or um, you know whatever other story it is that in relation to me. Well, so I got a Google alert for so, – so the Google alerts, you know, don't necessarily just um, get the exact name and the exact spelling. So uh, I got a Google alert, which was for a Joan Carol Lieberman, Carol without the E, Lieberman. And that got me very curious, and I uh, clicked on the link and found this woman, today's guest, Joan Carol Lieberman, who I will call Joan for the rest of the show, um, who has written this really fascinating book about her life. 
And that is how, so obviously it's serendipitous and she is meant to be on the show. So welcome to the show, Joan Carol Lieberman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's, um, let's kind of start, well, actually, let's start at uh, how you, what made you write the book to begin with, which starts with you be, being a finalist for the Bakeless Literary Prize and being invited to attend the Bread Loaf Writers Conference in 1999. Now, what is the Bakeless Literary Prize and the Bread Loaf Writers Conference? Is that when you write something about making bread? (laughs) Um, uh, Well, Bread Loaf Writers Conference is uh, considered the number one (laughs) writers conference. Uh, That I didn't know at the time, but it's a place that, um, it was actually founded by Robert Frost, and ah. it goes back. It has a very prestigious faculty, and uh, you um, have meetings when you're there with um, publishers and with agents, and you also, it's, it's basically a marathon of readings and lectures, and I thought you went there to write, but <laughs> I was wrong about that. Um, and it's just a fluke that I got there. Um, the bakeless. Well, what did you letter, write that got you the prize? Um, I sent. Um, I have to go back a bit. Uh, there's a writer from Utah named Terry Tempest Williams, who has quite a number of books. One of them, one of her first ones, was a book called Refuge, which was about the death of her mother and grandmother from breast cancer. And uh, it had a very powerful effect on me. It came at a time when uh, I was quite ill, and it just got me back in touch with my Utah roots. I was born there. And um, so she was the judge for the Bakeless Literary Prize, which is a prize that um, was started by a woman named Catherine Bakeless, <laughs> probably. Uh-huh. Um, she, she didn't spend her time cooking. Maybe she was a writer. I don't know. Uh-huh, but yeah. um, the fact that I had met Terry um, when she came, she came to where I live, the town I live in, in Boulder, Colorado, to record the audio version of Refuge. And I uh, was introduced to her and had breakfast with her. And so a few years later, I ended up in South Florida caring for my Jewish mother-in-law as she was dying from breast cancer. Mm. And so I decided to send Terry my diaries from Florida and um, hoping that she would have at least a, <laughs> a laugh or two because they were sort of funny. Um, and um, I, didn't, I thought she'd be paid for the time she was spending reading them so it wouldn't be a big imposition mm-hmm. on my part. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't serious about competing for the prize. That wasn't my goal. It was to just reach out to her and let her know what a powerful impact she'd had. Um, uh-huh. And these were the diaries of that I wrote who, to keep myself sane while I was in Florida. But I have been a diarist since I was five years old. And yes, that's what I was wondering, <laughs> from which, which time span. So it was the time yeah. that you were caring for your mother-in-law with... Breast cancer, okay. Yes. yes. And so you won, or you were a finalist, and then that's how you wound up going. Now, is this a, um, 
I've been to writers' conferences, too, and sometimes, yes, sometimes it is where you're supposed to be writing, although how you're supposed to find the time in between all these lectures and so on. Um, and then other, and other times it was more uh, just the lectures. So right. is this literary prize for... Um, well, if, if they, there were three finalists that year, they didn't issue a, the big prize, which is they publish your book. Uh. And... Um, so mine was definitely not a complete manuscript or ready for publication, but um, I think they liked their writing, and so um, I was invited to come as a scholar, a bakeless scholar, they call it. Oh, that's and, great! And that's uh, where you met. I, I, and that's where you met this woman who kind of guided you with your book, and ultimately yes. became uh, the way that it, it wound up getting published. Um, yes. uh, not through Bakeless, but <laughs> directly. Right. So let's let's start back to the five-year-old because I think you know, as a psychiatrist who has treated countless schizophrenic, I, I did my um, I did my psychiatry residency at NYU Bellevue. Needless uh, to say, there were yes. um, <laughs> many schizophrenic patients uh, yeah. over the years, and and since then too, for that matter. Um, yeah. And so, you know, being raised by a schizophrenic mother certainly does have its challenges, and that's where this optimal distance title comes in. So tell us about that, your starting from childhood. Um, Well, um, I'm a full-blooded Gentile, is one way to think of it. Uh, My mother was a descendant of Mormon pioneers, and um, she lost her faith in Mormonism during the Depression um, and turned away from it. But it's just a fluke that I came into um, embodiment or whatever. Um, my father was born in Newark, New Jersey, and um, he, his mother was sent to Ogden to live with an aunt um, after both of her parents died. Hmm. And um, she wanted to go back there, so she took her three children, and she was pregnant with her fourth, and went back there with her husband, who was Jacob Lieberman. And um, his father was a cousin of Simon Bamberger, who was the first and only, so far, Jewish governor of Utah. Hmm. And... um, Simon gave him a job, and they got settled, and so on. Um, so my mother's first kind of professional job after business school was at, at Utah Power and Light, and the person sitting next to her was Alice Lieberman, um, my father's sister. And she said after a few months, hey, would you mind going out on a blind date with my brother? And my mother said, I guess so, you know. <laughs> if she said no, I wouldn't be here. Um, <laughs> so it has all the fateful pieces of it. Uh-huh. Um, and in a way, my father was a perfect match for my mother. I mean, she was very beautiful and charming and flirtatious, and he proposed on the third date. He was 29 years old, which was old then for marriage. And... Um, she said, oh, well, I can't get married till I have a black nightgown, <laughs> a black lace uh, nightgown. So he went to ZCMI, which is the oldest cooperative store in America, I think. 
and um, bought, paid a hundred dollars, which was a lot of money in 1941 mm-hmm. for, wow, yeah. a, for a black nightgown and peignoir robe to go with it, uh-huh. and. Um, that outfit was legendary among her sisters. <laughs> they thought it was a ridiculous price. And um, so they got well, married. It's kind, of, it's kind of, and how old was your mother at the time that she got married? She was 21. So yeah, it's she, kind of interesting. I mean, when was she diagnosed with schizophrenia? She may have been showing some promodal uh, symptoms at that time. Well, yeah, I, I that's, don't. Kind of, that's kind of what I'm thinking because, you know, typically one um, wears a white peignoir. Yes. To get yes. married. <laughs> <laughs> and that does seem a bit um, idiosyncratic, shall yes. we say, yes. to ask yeah. for a black one. Yeah, well, even more idiosyncratic is she wore it the first night. She put it on briefly <laughs> of their honeymoon and then took it back to ZCMI and told them that it wasn't quite right for her. <laughs> and she she never kept anything anybody ever gave her. Uh, nothing was ever quite right. Huh. So she um, had a very hard time. My father um, had been... Uh, he was an entomologist for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and when they met, he was working in Yuma and he used to come to Salt Lake, which is a long drive, um, for the weekends to see his mother and sister. And um, But the first, right before they got married, my father was assigned to go to Delta, Utah, and to do some of the first tests using DDT for agricultural purposes. Uh-huh. It had been, you know, used in uh, fighting during... <laughs> during uh, World War II to control bed bugs and um, lice and other kinds of things, but it hadn't been used on uh, alfalfa and other um, agricultural um, products. So mm-hmm. he was assigned, and this is a town of a thousand people then, all of them Mormons. <laughs> and my father showed up and... <laughs> Uh, both by surname and looks, he didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, he stood out, and my mother also. So he they, they, initially he brought his uh, wife home to this little the Southern Hotel on Main Street, which was filled with cockroaches. And, uh, they set up housekeeping there and finally got a rental house and settled in. And my mother had terrible allergies. Um, they were married in March, and by June, she was living back in Salt Lake with her parents. Mm. And um, she came back in the fall and then had a severe asthma attack, and it turned out that that was from pregnancy hormones. <laughs> and so um, she spent a lot of her pregnancy in Salt Lake um, and was treated and did okay, but she had one pelvic exam, and she was she did not like to be touched, and that's another symptom, I think. And um, mm-hmm. she didn't know she was going to have twins until a few weeks before delivery. And she had twins. My brother was stillborn and deformed, mm. and she had wanted a boy very badly. And I, retrospectively, I see this as sort of the trigger that pushed her over from mm. then on 
it was mm. clear that she was ill, although nobody had, um, I mean, first of all, the, the Delta Hospital was a garage with a sign on it. <laughs> there was one doctor, Dr. Bird there, but um, the options for care were very limited. And my father, bless his heart, um, had f- grown up feeling that um, he was n- vowing that he was never going to leave his wife or child mm. Mm. because his father had left. Mm-hmm. And so there was a little reaction formation going on there. And um, anyway, she really wasn't treated um, until I was 21, 20, 20 myself, yes. Huh. Um, with any kind of medication, and Thorazine had been developed by then, and I came back from being in Europe and Africa, and she tried to kill me the first night I was home. <laughs> well, wait, before we get to that, so when you yeah. were, but t- talk about when you were a child growing up. So, yes, I mean, so, it was really yes. only the, the 70s or the 60s, or, I mean, Thorazine was it, the first drug antipsychotic, Um, that was used, and um, I mean, so this was, let's see, so you were born when, what year? 1942, I'm 75 years old. Okay, so 42, so she, uh, and she was, and she She was was 23. She was what? She was 23 when she had me and the onset came, yeah. So what, so did she, um, I mean, so without medication, I mean, you know, first of all, the, the treatment for schizophrenia these days is medication and psychotherapy. Um, right. So without any medication, which is, oh, my God, it's already 20. <laughs> oh, dear, I don't want to take a break yet. <laughs> um, the, so, the, you know, without any medication for the symptoms, that, that is really a very, um, that's, you know, she would have been very volatile uh, with hallucinations yes. and everything, which we will come back yes. and hear when we take a break and okay. um, get back to my guest, Joan Carol Lieberman, whose book is called Optimal Distance. Actually, it's two books. Uh, there's part one and part two. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, uh, with a very interesting guest today whose name is Joan Carol Lieberman. Uh, we have not determined that we are related, <laughs> but, but presumably um, maybe way far back. Uh, my father was a Lieberman. Her father was a Lieberman. So, you know, maybe maybe back in the day. Um, yeah. We're talking about her book, uh, Books, Optimal Distance, A Divided Life, book one and book two. And before the break, we were talking about um, what it was like to grow up with a schizophrenic mother. So take us back there. All right. So in Delta, which was this small town, um, I have very little memory of, of that place. We left it when I was um, four and a half and moved to a slightly larger town in Utah called Logan, where Utah State University is located. And I survived largely because of the Mormon church. (laughs) The Mormons are very friendly people, open, and um, we moved into a family that had a little girl who was two years older than me, and we became friends. And I just spent learned to spend as much time as possible away from my mother to stay out of the house. It was sort of that, you know, a lot of kids during those, that generation were said, don't come home until 5 o'clock. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're sent into the street. But there, Logan was uh, 14,000, um, pretty much, uh, I think there were about uh, 1,000 non-Mormons in town. I'm not sure about that mm. count. But mm-hmm. um, I was just lucky that I moved into a very loving situation where a woman named Afton Evans uh, did some substitute mothering of me, um, and her daughter was my friend. And um, so what was your mother like? Was she actively, I mean, people who are schizophrenic yeah. generally hear things, see things. Right. Uh, not, let's go back to, to Delta for a minute. The first um, obvious symptom was there were, um, when she brought me home from the hospital, uh, another family who was non-Mormon, uh, the Walway family, had moved there, and Marvin had been hired by the department, War Department to, he was a mining engineer, to look for sources of uranium for a certain secret bomb project. <laughs> My father was assigned by the federal government, besides the DDT test, to take care of um, the scorpions and spiders and everything at the Topaz relocation camp, which was a, a Japanese internment camp just outside mm. Delta. Mm. So those two contexts are there. My mother's 
started thinking that there were uh, poisonous snakes in our couch, and I was the only person allowed to sit on it. Those, the, that I have a memory of, but um, beyond that, most of it was in my unconscious. She did uh, physically try to off me at least twice that we have documented. Uh, once required hospitalization in Salt Lake City, and a second time um, I was taken to B. Walway, who was the wife of the mining engineer. And she had a daughter named Mary Kay, and who was four months older than me. And she was trained as a nurse and took care of me after a pretty horrific experience where I was abandoned at Topaz, uh, outside of the Topaz camp. So and your mother just—you mean your mother left you there, took you there? Well, um, she had abused me at the house first, and then uh, drove out there looking for my father. And she was imagining that he was there, but he was way out of town uh, in St. George. And I managed to escape by crawling out the back of the car, <laughs> out, out the back door. It's a long, uh-huh. a long story. And I didn't know this for years. That, that part was just in my unconscious. And it took me, I, I, I still had a hard time believing it, but... Wait, 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 believing, believing which part that she was abusing? That I just, yeah, that I, um, I couldn't hold the experience. Um, uh-huh. I had a lot of symptomology from it, but I just, it's the kind of thing that you don't want. You just look away and try to not hold it, I guess. I don't know. But right. Well, you've been, I presume you've been in therapy. Yeah, oh, yes. Over the years. Okay. <laughs> yes, um, I have. And, so, and uh, then the first time when they put her in, in a hospital in Salt Lake City, what had she done to you? Uh, broken my arm. Um, I had a badly infected diaper rash. Um, my father was sent out of away, uh, out of town a lot, and those were times when I was at most uh-huh. risk. Um, and so B tried to persuade him to ha- have my mother sent to the Territorial Insane Asylum, which was yeah. the only option then. Yeah. And he resisted it and just said, no, I can't do that to Margaret, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. So in Logan, because I had um, the luck of being next to a family that opened their arms to me, I could keep my distance in a way that kept me safer. I uh-huh. still had some very bizarre <laughs> experiences for years. Well, like, like, like the first time that, um, I mean, your, your mother heard voices, right? Oh, yes, yes. And the God and the you... devil were having a lot of conversations with her. Ah, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and there was a lot of kind of religious uh, sturm und drang mixed into her thought process. Um, she... Um, <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> she just um, she couldn't. Uh, she here she's living in a town. Both both those towns where the majority of people are Mormons, and she doesn't go to church. She was so isolated. She barely mm. had a friend. Mm. And um, you know, I I'm sure there was not a psychiatrist in Logan. Right. There there certainly were some in 
Salt Lake and in Provo where the insane asylum was, but I don't know where she would have turned. And of course, her brothers and sisters blamed her thought processes on the fact that she had married a Gentile. Oh, well, you mean, well, oh yes, because you describe in the book that he was Jewish, but that he was yes. non-Mormon, so they call him a Gentile. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, Mormons call non-Mormons Gentiles. Jews call <laughs> non-Jewish people Gentiles. So mm-hmm. that's why I say I was a full-blooded Gentile. Uh-huh. But I felt like a small animal trying to hide among a herd of domineering dairy cows. <laughs> that's the best yeah. analogy I can come up with. That's how I felt. Well, for... it must have been very confusing um, for a little child who doesn't understand, understand schizophrenia um, to see or hear your mother, like, I presume, was she raging at, you know, answering the voices, raging at the voices? What did you think was going yeah. on? Well, she she had from uh, some of my earliest memories were her paranoia about the FBI <laughs> listening yeah. and the telephone being uh, kept in a drawer and um, blinds always closed. Um, it, it was. I knew she was disturbed. Finally, by the time I was in fourth grade, I knew she was seriously disturbed. Uh-huh. But. Um, I didn't really have a way to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was not until I was a junior in high school and she came down with um, the San Joaquin Valley Fever, which is like, uh, it's sort of like mononucleosis, but it's a Mm -hmm. fungal disease. And we were living in Bakersfield then. And anyway... I finally made contact with her internist when he came to the house. She was so weak, she couldn't get out of bed. And I said to him, he, he came out and said, I think it may have infected your mother's brain. Mm. <laughs> and I said, no, I think this has been going on for a long time. Uh-huh. And he said, it sounds like she has paranoid schizophrenia. And I, you know, I then finally was able to get an appointment with a wonderful therapist named Norris H. Weinberg at UCLA. And he talked to me about all the things and my mother and offered to find a referral for my mother and father. But just that one session with him, he spent two hours with me, um, was revelatory and helpful, uh-huh. and I've uh-huh. never forgotten it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, um, the the problem with um, discovering the name of it was that this was the era of the um, uh, perverse mothers. They were blaming schizophrenia on parents, on mothers in particular, and. Um, I don't know whether you remember well, from it your was, training. Well, they were called refrigerator mothers. Exactly. Um, I have a chapter called the refrigerator mothers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was um, mothers who are very cold, are very, um, you know, other yeah. than when they're in the midst of their hallucinations and delusions and so on, um, they can't uh, form a warm bond with their children. Um, right. And right. so it was. But it was more complicated than that. They were saying that 
a cold mother cause schizophrenia. Right. I know what child. you're saying. I know what you're <laughs> yeah. saying. Actually, I, interestingly enough, you may find this interesting, um, I did research at the Maudsley Hospital in London uh-huh. um, where, have you heard about the expressed emotion research? Yes. With um, yeah. Julian Leff? Um, yes, where it's not ex- it's a little more sophisticated than than, schiz- than uh, the refrigerator mother, um, but it was found that that families where there was high expressed emotion, um, now that could be uh, hostility, which is kind of like refrigerator, or right. it could be um, over in, in uh, enmeshment, uh, or or other different kinds of emotions, and if it was a family. Uh, uh, where there was high EE, high expressed emotion, that would be more likely to cause to cause people to have relapses when when they came, when patients came home from the hospital and so on, and perhaps to have started this. Now, um, I know you have a very interesting story about what you think. Now, let me before you get into that, um, my my you know schizophrenia is there is a genetic component to schizophrenia. Yes. Yes. And that doesn't mean that every child born from from parents uh, or grandparents or you know families where there is schizophrenia will become schizophrenic. But it does mean that they inherit a genetic predisposition to schizophrenia. And right. so, if they have, as their life goes on, um, stressors, that can bring out the schizophrenia, which is probably right. what happened with um, your mother. Right. With you know her having one child be stillborn and so on, and you not right. being a boy, um, so so I believe you know I'm a psychoanalytically oriented um, therapist. While I was in London doing research at the Maudsley, I was also studying it at Anna Freud's clinic. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean I believe that there is uh, that parents do contribute to the manifestation of schizophrenia that is in a person, in a child, who is genetically predisposed to schizophrenia. So yeah. I don't totally refute the refrigerator mother uh, <laughs> description. It's just a little more sophisticated now with this uh, expressed emotion. Right, right. Well, it, I was 57 years old before I learned that my mother's mother, when she was pregnant with my mother, came down with a Spanish influenza. It was the fifth month of her pregnancy with my mother. And I believe that that was the glitch in her, that that was the influenza link that, that caused her to have the disease. Um, I may be wrong about that, but she comes from a very large family, and all of her siblings have had a number of children, and um, the other thing was that she was given a complete hysterectomy at the time of the delivery of myself and uh, my stillborn brother, and so she had a severe drop in hormones, and she went the rest of her life without any hormone replacement and developed severe osteoporosis. So I, I don't know, but the fact that she had that environmental insult in utero, which, in my view, they're now beginning to discover how the Zika virus, for example, crosses the placenta barrier. 
Mm-hmm. But I do not know how that thing could sit dormant, you know, for 21 years or 23 years. It, it, the fact that it comes on so suddenly, um, at least I've seen it on set suddenly in, in, uh, the children of some of my friends, um, all of whom were, uh, very intelligent kids with great upbringings. <laughs> and then overnight, it, well, um, yes, 20, usually the ages from about 18 to 24 are the prime ages for when schizophrenia oh, yeah. manifests. Yeah. Um, My so mother was you, 23. Yeah. Uh-huh. Were you trying to say that, um, so she came from this big family and nobody in the whole family has right. any kind, kind of mental problems? Well, they're, they're Mormons. <laughs> well, <laughs> that. You know, the whole idea of magical thinking is very big in Utah, in my view. But I, I was baptized a Mormon. I, I spent, you know, I discovered that they had the perfect plan for me because they had something for you to do at the ward house every day of the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> that kept me, again, at an optimal distance from my mother. Uh-huh. And I went alone to my baptism at the Logan Temple. Hmm. You have to have hmm. a bishop's recommend to get in, and my parents were eternally excluded from that. And then I, you know, as an adult, uh, by the time I ha- had my first child, uh, I asked, I, I wrote and requested excommunication and had a bishop's trial. And um, if their sentence is correct, I'm going to burn <laughs> hell for eternity, but <laughs> I'm trying to ignore that. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, my book does give a lot of information about Mormonism. So if people don't understand what it is or uh-huh. don't know some of the things, it it does it through a long way. In fact, it includes a letter speaking of terrorism uh, to Osama bin Laden, uh, suggesting that he might like to visit Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and because who is that letter place. from? Yeah, who is? It's from me. I, I wrote from him you. <laughs> because he was on my mind. <laughs> I see. So. Okay. Oh God, we have to take another break. Okay. My guest is so interesting. Her name is Joan Carol Lieberman. Uh, her book is books are called Optimal Distance Part One and Part Two, and we will be right back and continue with her. Really fascinating story of um, great uh, courage in um, living through this and becoming successful on her own. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com welcome back to dr carol's couch if you have a question or comment for dr carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get right back to my guest, who is Joan Carol Lieberman. And her book uh, is called Optimal Distance. You're hearing, and it's part one and part two, two books. You're hearing about uh, where that title comes from, originally actually it comes from, um, keeping optimal distance from her schizophrenic mother uh, to keep herself safe and, and uh Ah, uh, and not more traumatized than than she than it was. Um, I wanted to just mention that during the break, Joan was saying that uh, her mother was given a Benadryl because of her allergies, and you know that's interesting because that is a medic. I mean, that's that, that's a um, a happy circumstance in that you know because at least that helped somewhat because that's uh, has a side effect being a sedative. And, yes. you know, in the early days, that is, before Thorazine, that is um, what p- people with, with schizophrenia um, and other mental problems were given just to calm them down. So that obviously helped uh, some to keep her, you know, from acting out as much and as violently. Um, so take us to, to when you came back from school and traveling in Europe and, and volunteering in Africa. You were really trying. <laughs> Optimal distance was Africa. You were really getting away. <laughs> um, tell us about bringing her to the mental hospital. Um, well, it was the first night I was home, and I just I had uh, been volunteering uh, as a medical assistant in Africa, and I had read a lot of French medical texts in preparation for that assignment, and I knew more about schizophrenia, and in fact, the French were a little ahead of us. That was in France, the first place that started to use Thorazine for schizophrenia, so um, I just said, okay, (laughs) this is it, and I managed to trick her to get in the car and drove her there without her knowledge, and they uh, they were expecting her, and she was hospitalized, and we weren't allowed to see her for 48 hours, and we came in, and the first thing she said was, it's so quiet in here. There are no voices. I, where are ah. they all gone? And I just thought, oh, thank God. Ah. <laughs> um, and um, she st- like many schizophrenics, she had a very hard time staying on the medication, um, she eventually was treated with Haldol 
and I was greatly relieved when the injectable form came out mm. and lasted for two weeks, and I could kind of know where she was. Um, but she developed the uh, gait disturbance from that, and um, one of her survival mechanisms, one of her symptomology things was to run away. <laughs> and she often, I mean, when she died, she had three bank accounts in Switzerland and safe huh. deposit bo- uh, boxes in Canada. She, like many schizophrenics, she was worried about the world economic meltdown, <laughs> that uh-huh. and the FBI. And so um, she managed to, wait, she managed. Did she actually go to Switzerland and go? Yeah, to she, she she would. She didn't go to Switzerland. She just. I don't know how she did that. Probably with her broker who sold yeah. her a lot of penny stocks and stuff. Yeah. But um, she would get in the car and say, or she'd leave the apartment or house with my father and say, "I'm going to the Westminster Mall." <laughs> uh-huh. And sometimes she did. <laughs> sometimes she went to Tucson or. You know, to California, or uh, her last escape was to Utah because she figured the FBI would never look for her there <laughs> because they knew she <laughs> didn't like um, uh, Mormon men. That was on her list of uh, n- not huh. okay. Um, and uh, she uh, stopped at Little Wyoming or Little Little America in Wyoming, bought a Heath bar, got. Uh, back on the freeway, took a bite of it, and broke a tooth. Mm. Stopped, found a dentist on the outskirts of Salt Lake, rented a trailer from him somehow. When the roof leaked, she was sure that he had planted a a transistor in the tooth cap (laughs) that Uh. was causing it to rain, and that the FBI therefore knew where she was. Mm. <laughs> but now where and was your father at that point? He was back here in Boulder. They they came followed me to Colorado in 1970. But I mean, when she was driving around and renting this um, trailer, and uh, you know, was he like? Wouldn't he? He would must have. Oh, gotten... we spent we spent uh, a big part of our life looking for her, and yeah. And, and initially, we would file, like many families do, missing uh, persons reports. Um, but in the end, he said, look, <laughs> that, that's a waste of government resources, tax dollars. Uh-huh. And um, I, would, I, I spent hundreds of nights driving around looking for her car. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, I, and he never, uh, my father was never able to hospitalize her. But I, I just carried his uh, card for her. Her, his, he had great federal benefits, thank God, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in my wallet, and I hospitalized her 13 times in oh, Colorado, wow. in f- between 1971 and the time she died in 1982. She died huh. on the morning of my 40th birthday, <laughs> and that was the greatest gift she ever gave me. It's a hard thing to say, but mm-hmm. it had been really hard. So, and that's why my life was divided. So, from the time of her death, I, I felt like I had a new life. I knew then that I was past the age of onset. I'd stopped worrying about getting the disease, um, and I had another baby. 
and unfortunately, <laughs> there was a boomerang in that, but I, I developed uh, breast cancer, and I'm now a 28-year survivor of metastatic breast cancer. That's, and that's, that's great. <laughs> yes, well, not great for the budget, but it's, I feel very lucky, very, very lucky. Well, I mean, and, it's great because, um, you know, I guess you must be an example of, you know, sometimes when people have traumas as children, and you had many years of, um, you know, traumatic experiences with your mother, um, it, it either makes them go, um, uh, you know, develop, have not be able to develop a fulfilling life and and not really you know maybe getting right. uh, uh, addicted to alcohol or drugs or having all kinds of problems right. or um, some people can take from that and become stronger and apparently you are in the second group because of you know because of being able to survive all these years after the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. And, um, I mean, you, you've really had a lot of things that you have overcome in your life. And so <laughs> I just want to make the point for my listeners, you know, um, a lot of times people are kind of in the space of, oh, woe is me. And, uh-huh. um, you know, you're a, a model of, um, of someone who didn't take that attitude and, and who has, you know, managed to have a very fulfilling life and overcome all of these different things, and, um, uh, and and now writing this book, and you've been getting a really positive reaction to the book. Um, tell me, you know, that it, it was published in September, so what uh, has been happening so far? <laughs> oh, I, I was, I did not expect to be alive when it was read. <laughs> and uh-huh. it, I, one thing about having schizophrenia in a family is there's a lot of social shame around it and secretiveness and hiding and so I'm incapable of that and it's a very honest autobiography um, and including all my flaws and um, so I and doubts all my doubts um, it's um, I've, I feel like I'm naked when I walk around the block. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get past that. I feel grateful to be alive, and I haven't had a big marketing plan to do that. I just um, um, I set this aside when my editor at Norton died. Her name was Carol Hoop Smith, and that was in 2008. And I stopped working on the book, and then. In 2014, my husband and I made a bucket list for our marriage and what I wanted from him before he died and what he wanted from me, and he wanted me to finish the book. Well, so, good for him to, uh, <laughs> to make that um, because, you know, who knows? I mean, yes, that, that really is um, very courageous of you to, you're right, that people kind of tend to feel ashamed, even though, of course, I mean, it certainly was not your fault. Um, right. And you, you know, it's a good. Th- I, I think part of the reason why you're so able to be successful uh, today is that um, one, because of your father, who was apparently very loving, and so on. Um, yes. And and two, because of these other mother substitutes who you said that you found along the way. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm still finding them. <laughs> uh huh. And I have tried to pass that on. Uh, I'm carrying. 
uh, at least emotionally and financially, for uh, the daughter of a dear friend who had eight children and died of breast cancer. Mm. And I'm only saving one, but (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, she's in a doctoral program for clinical psychology at the University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of her. So, well, and and you you had taken pre med in college, and then and that's how you wound wound up um, going to Africa as a medical assistant. Right, right. Well, after I saw uh, Dr. Norris H. Weinberg at UCLA, mm-hmm. I said, "That's what I want to do. I want to be a doctor and save lives, just like Dr. Weinberg." <laughs> Because uh-huh. <laughs> I felt like he had saved my life. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and so I've I had that goal for a long time, and um, I had uh, a child the first time I got pregnant. The first time I made love, which mm. tells you a little bit about Utah's health education program. <laughs> 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 um, I can't believe it. I didn't think it was sex, actually. <laughs> but, um, Anyway, uh, I the first week back as a working m- nursing mother, um, I realized I couldn't keep up with the pre med, and I switched mm. to industrial mm. psychology. So, and that's what, you, um, and, that, and you've been working as a manager. You know, I I, we're, I see that we're running out of time, and I want to make sure that you have a chance to tell people um, where to where you would like them to go to get the book. Um, it's available on Amazon or at any independent bookstore. I mean, they can order it through that. Um, and um, Barnes and Noble. Um, so and also on your website. Let's yes, right? and they yeah, there are buttons on the website people can click on. So and the, and the website is optimaldistance.com. Very easy. That's the name of the book, Optimal Distance, and the website is www.optimal distance.com yes well thank you for sharing these really personal um, stories I mean you you know I can only imagine how no wonder you had to make two books <laughs> because uh, I mean the drama um, as I said at the beginning actually um, the drama must have been uh, I could see this becoming a, a movie have you tried yes. have you thought about Trying to get this to become a movie? Uh, somebody who read it in New York uh, felt the same way and made contact with somebody about that. But um, <laughs> I'm on 15 medications. <laughs> Just yeah. Holding on here. And um, I, I, th- this was a huge effort for me to finish this. So um, maybe my husband can. So, but it would be hard for me. So. Well, you know, it's yeah. not really, you don't really have to have anything to do with it once you sell the book. Uh, you know, they can kind of um, take over from there. It, I mean, yeah. it's not like it's going to take a, a whole, I mean, yes, you know, everybody wants to be involved with right. how their book is put on the screen. But, um, but it, you don't have to be. You don't have to let that be a, a stumbling yeah. block. Yeah. I, I, mean, think I, I, I think you I must think have it's a lot difficult of to quote, I think it's difficult to to have a, an appealing mentally ill person. <laughs> well, I mean, the beautiful mind is a great example. Or, yes. Uh, Silver, what was that? <laughs> I can't remember the name. With um, Jennifer Lawrence, and so it takes a while. But I, somebody's maybe thinking about it. 
So. Yes, I, I uh, would imagine so. so mostly, again, book, I hope it encourages people to get things better in our mental health system. Yes. So, yes. This, and, and this disease also, affects one out of 100 people, and that's yes. an epidemic. Yes, <laughs> so. yes. I'm sure it'll give courage to a lot of other families. Again, the book is called Optimal Distance by Joan Carol Lieberman. And it's OptimalDistance.com. So, Joan, thank you so much for sharing your story yeah. on Dr. Thank Carol's Couch. Thank you for having Couch. me. And thank you okay. all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 